Exodus describes a, a key turning point of history when God rescued the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt and entered into a, a covenant relationship with them, which included giving them the law. And the first four commands are focused on how we love God, love the Lord our God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the remaining six are about how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, today we're focusing on the tenth, the final commandment of the ten, which addresses the problem of coveting, which means to desire or to lust after things that are unhealthy, unhelpful, or unlawful. So first, let's consider the wisdom or the goodness of God in this command. Why should we want to obey this command, in other words? Well, there are probably many benefits to obeying this, this command, but the main benefit, in my view, is how it relates to our internal and external peace. The older I get, the more I value peace. Not simply the absence of conflict, although that is, of course, very good, uh, but the feeling of wholeness and fulfillment that you get when you know that you're in right relationship with God and other people. That is true peace. I know wealthy people who would give all of their wealth to experience that. But one of the things that steals our peace and leads to all sorts of problem is, problems is when we desire what isn't ours, or maybe what shouldn't be ours. Now it's important to see that this command doesn't forbid all desire, desire in general, but only desiring what is unhealthy, unhelpful, or unlawful. There isn't anything wrong with desiring your own spouse, for example. In fact, that's a very good thing. It makes marriage much better when that dynamic is a part of your marriage relationship. But to covet your neighbor's wife or husband is not good or right or helpful for anyone. So the Hebrew word translated house in this command can mean house or household. And so this applies to anything in your neighbor's house or household. And, and as we've said at times, the word neighbor doesn't necessarily just mean the person living right next door across the street. This is the, the people you encounter in life. This, this is people in general. Jesus was very clear about that. So this applies to anything in anybody's house or household, to their income, to their abilities, to their possessions, to their children, to their house, to their car, to their health, to their job, or anything else that belongs to another person. So how might this desire, this coveting, steal your peace? Well, it's really hard to have inner peace when you aren't content with what you have. It's hard to have inner peace when you aren't thankful for what you have, but instead are constantly looking out and jealously, enviously seeing what you don't have. And it's easy to me to see how this type of attitude, this coveting could lead to all sorts of problems or, or even violence. That's what James observes in James chapter four. What causes fights and quarrels among you? James asks. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. 
You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. This is insightful. Coveting doesn't help us love our neighbor. In fact, it might be the pretext for doing them great harm. In the classic mob movie, Scarface, when, <laughs> none of you saw that coming, when Tony, Tony Montana, um, played by Al Pacino, about a million years ago, um, he plays a small, town, a small time crook uh, and, and a nobody really, but there's a scene when he's driving home with his partner, Manny, and they're talking about their future, and Manny says, I say, be happy with what you got. But Tony says, you be happy. Me, I want what's coming to me. Surprised, Manny says, well, what's coming to you, Tony? And Tony replies, the world, Chico, and everything in it. All the rest of the violence and the evil of that movie starts with the breaking of the 10th commandment. Just as James said. Just as the Lord said through Moses. Now, obeying this command is especially hard for us in the age of social media. Studies have shown, many studies now, that the more time you spend on social media, the happier you are. <laughs> no, no, no. This is the opposite. The more time you spend on social media, the more depressed you tend to be. And this is especially true for teen girls. Now, why? Well, I think because social media isn't real life. It's only the parts of life that people want to share. It's a curated version of life that leaves out all of the boring or the bad bits. So when you scroll through your newsfeed, you're only seeing part of other people's lives, the part that they're willing to share. And this can be so depressing if you aren't aware of what's happening. Because you're comparing your seemingly boring life of scrolling <laughs> to all these people who seem to be doing so much better than you. Now, of course, they're not actually doing better. Even if at the moment they're doing something exciting, they have boring and difficult times too. Everybody does. We just tend not to share those moments on social media. Now, social media can be a good thing, I think, but only when it enhances our real face-to-face -face relationships. Only, if I could say, when it allows us to love our neighbor. My fear is that most people consume social media without thinking. And this directly leads to breaking the 10th commandment and stealing the joy and the gratitude and the contentment that comes with true and lasting peace. So the goodness and wisdom of God in the 10th command is that among many other things, it leads to peace. Now, I said that this peace is both internal and external. It's both within yourself and in relationship to others, to the Lord and to other people. But let's drill down a level, a level or two about 
the internal side and see how this command connects to the heart. So first we saw the wisdom and goodness of God in the 10th command. Now second, how it connects to the heart. So the 10th command is a very strange law when you think about it. If you think about it, I'm hoping you're thinking about it right now. It's weird. Why? Well, because there's really no way for us to judge when someone is guilty of breaking it. We can tell if someone's coveting leads to, as James said, to quarreling or fighting. We can tell when coveting leads to breaking other commands, such as the command against theft or the command against adultery. But we really can't tell what's going on in someone else's heart. Only God can know for sure. So this is a curious command because it would seem that it has no way of being enforced. If you can't tell if someone is coveting, how could a judge find them to be innocent or guilty? Well, why then did God include this in the Ten Commandments? Why is this the conclusion of the most famous legal code in human history? Because God doesn't want superficial obedience. God doesn't want people to honor him with their lips while their hearts remain far from him. God doesn't want people to love their neighbor in what they do, but not in the thoughts or the attitudes of their heart. God wants all of our lives to be transformed into the likeness of Christ. And this must include our hearts. The 10th command forces us to examine our hearts and deal with the unhealthy, unhelpful, and unlawful desires that we might find in there. Furthermore, it reinforces reinforces what we've emphasized throughout this series that, that underlying each negative prohibition of the Ten Commandments, there is a positive principle that is rooted in the character of God. For example, we, the, the commandment against murder, that's the prohibition, no murdering, okay, uh, is rooted in the fact that God deeply cares for and values human life. That's the positive principle. So we can't stop at the letter of the law. We must go deeper and understand and live out the spirit of the law, which has to come from the heart. In the Bible, The heart represents the whole inner person, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And the Bible says, and any, I think, decent psychologist would agree, that everything external, every word and deed, flows out of what's inside of us, the heart. Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. No good tree bears bad fruit nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. Listen to this. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That's a convicting word. What Jesus is saying here is that all of our problems in life are first heart problems. Now, sometimes I hear people say, I know he said that, or I know that he did that evil thing, but, you know, he has a good heart. False. 
It can't be. Now, it doesn't mean that one evil word or one evil deed means someone is entirely evil. Not at all. People are more complicated than that. Our hearts are complex. We have competing desires and motivations within us, and it can be so difficult for us to even understand what's going on in there, even when we are trying to understand, and not everyone is trying to understand what's going on in their own heart. There are a few things in my life that took years of careful thought and prayer and discussion before I felt like I even knew what was going on in my heart. But if this is true, then if we fail to address the heart, either in our lives or in our marriages or with our kids in our parenting or, or, or our desire to learn the way of Jesus, we will ultimately miss the root of our issues. This is why Proverbs 4, verse 23 says this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. So first we saw that the wisdom and the goodness of God can be seen pretty clearly in the 10th command. This is good. We should want to live like this. And second, we saw how this command really connects directly to the heart. The problem of coveting is a heart problem. Now third, what do we do? How do we actually obey this? How can we follow the wisdom of God and guard our hearts? As Christians, how can we do this in Christ? Well, first, Incidentally, this teaching is, is similar in some ways to Buddhism. And Buddhism also teaches that bad or corrupt desires are at the root of our problems, the source of our sin. These desires are the root of all pain and injustice to, to all oppression and abuse in life. Our desire for pleasure or for power or even for life itself is the root of all suffering. But the, the Buddhist solution is to detach yourself from the world so as not to experience these desires anymore. This enlightened state is a state without any desire, good or bad. There is no more sin because there is no more desire. There's almost no more of anything. But as we've seen, and I know that we've experienced this in our lives, not every desire in the human heart is totally corrupt. Some desires can be really good. In fact, the right desires, the healthy desires, the helpful desires can make life really sweet. So the Christian solution to this problem is not one of detachment, of detaching from desires or detaching yourself from the system of the world but it's to repent or to turn from your bad desires and learn new desires, which no longer conform to the pattern of this broken world, but are transformed by the renewing of our minds in Christ and into the likeness of Christ. The Christian agrees with the Buddhist that the root of our problems are really a heart problem 
However, the Christian believes that ultimately, we need a new heart. We need the regenerating work of God, the Holy Spirit, to take our hearts of stone, hearts hardened against God, hearts hardened against our neighbor, and give us hearts of flesh, hearts that are open and willing to follow the will and the way of God, hearts that want to love God, hearts that desire to love our neighbor in good and right and appropriate ways. This is what Jesus meant when he said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. We receive the regenerating work of God in our hearts when we put our faith and trust in the person and work of Christ. When we welcome Jesus into our hearts and lives as the redeeming king that he is. And this doesn't just involve a, a, a minor improvement to our lives. This conversion, this is what it means to become a Christian, to put your faith in Jesus, this conversion doesn't just change our external behavior to make us look or sound like better people. It's as radical and as transformative a work as if you were born again, made new. In fact, when you become a Christian, when you put your faith in Jesus, you go from being spiritually dead in your transgressions and sins to being made alive in Christ. And this spiritual renewal, this new birth, this new heart works itself out in our lives from the inside out. So how can we guard our hearts? How can we help guard the hearts of our kids or grandkids or our loved ones? I'll leave you with three thoughts today. First, we can guard our hearts against coveting, against envy, jealousy, all manner of evil by being born again and receiving a new heart from God. A new heart with new desires. This new heart is not one that is detached from reality, nor is it ruled by our covetous desires but one that is sensitive and controlled and can appropriately think and feel according to what is healthy and helpful and true. All of our problems truly are first heart problems. So we need a new heart. Second, we must be aware of the influence of the culture that we live in. We do not live in a neutral spiritual environment. We live on a battlefield and your heart is the central focus. Now we already discussed the potential problem of social media, but I, I think we need to also mention the power of marketing. Now I am a sucker for good marketing. If something looks good or cool, I want it. Am I the only one in here like that? <laughs> Probably not. Definitely not. Amen. <laughs> it's so hard to feel content, to feel grateful, to, to in, find and enjoy true and lasting peace when every ad that we see tells us that we will never be satisfied until we buy their thing. 
Forbes magazine reported that in the age of digital advertising, people see an average, this is unbelievable, people see an average of 4,000 to 10,000 ads per day. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, even if it's half true. That's staggering. So is it any wonder that it's hard for us to obey the 10th commandment? Well, the last thing I'll mention is that, about our culture anyways, is, is that is really about the spirit of our age. Now it's been described by sociologists and philosophers, both religious and secular, as expressive individualism. Expressive focuses on the emotional nature of people today. And individualism places the emphasis on the individual as opposed to the group or the family or the tribe or the nation. So many people today are ruled and mastered by their emotions. And it makes sense because we are constantly told, just follow your heart. It's the main theme of almost every story, film, binge watched a show. Follow your heart. As if the fact that we desire something or desire someone means we ought to have it or we ought to have them. We're even told that, that we are how we feel, that our identity is created by our emotions, our desires, our attractions, and that any desire of our heart that is not fulfilled will prevent us from being our authentic selves. So my friends, this is really not good. Emotions are helpful. God made us as emotional creatures. Individuals are, have great value according to God. But if the Bible is true, then these cultural beliefs, raising them to the ultimate place, are ultimately destructive. And the reason is this. Because, as we've seen, our hearts are a mixed bag of good and bad. Sometimes we desire what is right, but sometimes we desire what is wrong, and sometimes we desire something and we can't even tell what's going on in our hearts. Or we don't even know if it's right or wrong. How could that confused, jumbled mess coherently guide us, much less define us? Well, third, after receiving a new heart by the grace of God and through faith in Jesus Christ, especially in his death and resurrection, which we're gonna celebrate this week. And after clearly seeing the battle raging and swirling around us, we must be committed to learning the way of Jesus. His way is the only way of ultimate safety, security, truth, beauty, goodness, justice, life, and yes, of peace. His way is the only way to truly guard our hearts and our minds and our lives. So today, may we be people who are careful not to covet and instead focus on being content and grateful and joyful. And may we be people who are careful to guard our hearts
because everything else flows out from them. And may we be people who follow the way of Jesus in every area of our lives and so fulfill the law of God, a law of love. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that for your forgiveness for us when we have broken or when we break the 10th command. Lord Jesus, we need your help. We need the truth of your word and we need the power of your Holy Spirit. We need the model of your life. We need the support of your church. We need help to be obedient to this call. Lord Jesus, would you guard our hearts? Would you help us to live lives that bring you glory and honor and praise? Would you help us, Lord, would you clear away the debris in our hearts that is preventing us from loving you fully or loving our neighbor fully? And Lord Jesus, we long for the day when our hearts will be fully made new and our thoughts and our feelings and our words and our deeds will all perfectly align to your law of love. Come quickly, Lord. We can't wait. We pray all this in Jesus' name.